you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, we're looking at verses 11 through 22 this morning. And so there's a switch as we look at this passage, we've been seeing how God has been dealing with the individual, and now he switches and changes our focus from the individual to the community, or more specifically, the church. And I know today we live in a very radical individualism, and a lot of times people struggle to even value the church. And if we're honest, most of us could say and bring up people or issues where we've been hurt in the church. We've been um, overwhelmed by that. But I also want you to apply that to the family. And I know not all of us come from great families. A lot of us come from families where there were issues and struggles and trials, and we hated even to go home maybe. But there's a different perspective that's happening here, and this passage gives us an entirely different perspective of how God views the church. Because even though we had times that are very hurtful, whether in families or also within the church, it can also be the place where it's the most loving and it's the most forgiving place. And that's the perspective that God wants to give us here in this passage. Matthew Henry says this in his commentary, when we take God for our God, we take his people for our people. And I want you to keep that perspective as we read through the scripture and then try to apply it of what does it mean that we are called to be citizens in God's kingdom? What does it mean that we are called to be a part of his household? Therefore, how then shall we act and live and love one another. Hear the word of the Lord, Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He did this by abolishing the law of commandments, expression, ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. For in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may it be true, the song that we just sang, that it would be to the ancient words that we come. Lord, they need to change all of us and so, Lord, I pray that we would come with open hearts to come to your word, to allow it to make deep roots, 
to cut out the sin within. Maybe, Lord, to even reestablish relationships in this church or the greater kingdom. Lord, that we might find ourselves united in Christ by his blood. And therefore, we're all family. Family saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So change us this morning to look more like our Savior who gave his life as a ransom for ours while we were still sinners, dead in our trespasses. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is that the Apostle Paul tells us in verses 11 through 13 to remember. And why does he tell us to remember? It's because we are forgetful people. A lot of times we are forgetful in regards to bad memories. We try to, to put it, push those aside. We, it's too easy for us to nurse our offenses. We remember the things that people did against us. Or you can't be friends with that person because they did this. You can't do that. And we try to forget many things. But, so why is the Apostle Paul telling us to remember who we once were? And I want you to understand that this is very significant because this is the first command that he actually gives in the book of Ephesians. And he does this for a very specific reason is he wants to remember who you were. Who were you? And he's given this from a perspective of both the Gentile as well as the Jew. He talks about the circumcision and the uncircumcision. And he wants us to remember that there is a thing that's going on, that there are people who are outsiders. There's division. Now remember, God created the Jews. They were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. That's what he told Abraham. Out of you is going to come people, all peoples of the world, and you are to be a blessing to God. You, as a chosen, are supposed to be a blessing. But what had happened is the Jews began to feel superiority and contempt for other people. And what happens is they begin to look down on other people. It's like people who would say, I'm Republican and hate the Democrats, or Democrats who said they hate the Republicans. It's why we, there's struggles between Christianity and Islam. Are we saying and looking at other people and saying, I hate you, or are we called to be a blessing and to pray for them? Oh, that's harder. But we're called as Christians to be that hope to be the place of um, blessing to all the nations. And so there's these divisions that are going on, but there's also the shame. There's shame of being rejected. Rejected just because of circumstances at your birth. And so there's people who have shame, people who are made fun of because of their deformities, people who are made fun of because of their color of their skin. Other people find shame because of their personal choices. Because things that they have chose, they now find themselves um, being put into a place of shame or being told, oh, this is who you are. This is what defines you. And see, we all get it that we all deal with differences. We all, different, we all does, uh, go through these shame trials. We all go through these divisions. One of the, the funny jokes that we like as a family was um, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. And in there, there's a one line and it says, Four eyes, four eyes, you need glasses to see. Now, it's a tongue-in-cheek kind of a thing, okay? And it was a thing that really didn't make sense, and it really wasn't a joke, but it's, it's funny to us. Well, at least Elizabeth. 
But all of us recognize that there are times when words have been very cutting to us. We recognize that there are differences. So the Apostle Paul is sitting here and he says, you know what? Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're a part of the family of God or a Gentile, in the end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is your heart. But he wants the Gentiles to, to recognize that in the midst of the shame, in the midst of being outsiders, that there were consequences for them being raised outside of the church. And the first thing that they needed to recognize is that they were without a savior. In, in verse 2, I mean verse 12, they were alienated. They were separated. See, they, they had gods, lowercase g, but those gods were only there to lend power or to maybe help in a situation. Remember, they could never pray unto salvation. They could never be saved completely from their situation. But the people of God were raised with the understanding to always look to the Messiah. And as we had the opportunity to look to the Messiah, we were able to focus on the promises. Now those outside have no purpose, no plan, and no destiny. They're lost. And the thing is, is they don't know any different. So they don't know any better. They don't recognize until they sit down and figure out when they're at moments where they are completely alone, that everything that they're about in their life means absolutely nothing. But for the people of God, they had the promises and the covenant of God. And even though there were many covenants, there was always one promise that God was going to save the world through the Messiah who ultimately is Jesus Christ, who comes to pay for our sins. So it didn't matter how bad the days got. It didn't matter how bitter life had become. There was always hope for the Christian. And not only were they outside of the Savior, not only were they outside the promises, but they were without God. They were only concerned for self. They were always looking for pleasure and no pain. Sound familiar? That's our society. I only want to be about myself. And if that hurts someone else, well, big deal. I remember very specifically after my parents' divorce and and after I got through the, the, the part of blaming everything on my parents' divorce, that I got to the place where I said, if I feel this bad and I'm going through this pain all the time and this is how this world really is, you know what? I don't give a hoot how I make other people feel. Because we don't care. We're looking out for number one. And as we begin that, we begin to see that there is a lack of hope in life or in death. There is despair. Because all the longings that we had, all the the times, all the, the things of you can make this of yourself, you can have a great life, you can live a great life, that's all poo poo. You can't find it here in this world. Because that does not satisfy. And so we have this desire, but it's not being met. So we can have everything in the world and be without God, which means we have nothing. And so that's what the Apostle Paul was telling the people. Remember who you were, because now I want you to remember who you are. Remember who you are specifically in Christ. 
Because Christ came to make sinners saints. He came for the people, the Jewish people. He came for his people. But he didn't come just for them. He also came to make aliens members of God's family. The Gentiles were always a part of the plan. And so what happens is he says, those who were aliens that were far off, who were outside of the promises, who were outside of the the relationship with God, have been brought near. And not only are they brought near to him, he comes near to them. God comes to us. That's the amazing thing. And not only does he come to us, he does it by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Because remember back in the Old Testament when God made the covenant with Abraham, remember what he does? He cuts the animals in half and he lays them on both sides and the blood runs to the middle. And then God tells, gets up and he moves through the covenant. And he says, I'm going to be faithful to this. I will always be faithful to you as my people. And then he tells Abraham, now it's your turn as you represent the people of God. You walk through. And Abraham said, I ain't doing that. Now that's smart. Because Abraham knew he could not fulfill his end of the bargain. So who's our representative that walks through those pieces? It's Jesus. That's why it's a big deal for us to say in the blood, if there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Because if Christ did not die and did not shed his blood, then we're not cleansed. But Jesus gives his blood so that we're not ignoring sin, but he does something. He overcomes it. So therefore, when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Christ and it pays for the penalty of our sin. And then he gives to us Christ's righteousness. And so he says, remember who you used to be, but remember now who you are. And as you remember now who you are, then what happens in verses 14 through 18 is we, the two people become one. The Jews and the Gentiles, these people who were um, foreigners, who were at each other's throats, who was, had an actual separation, a physical barrier in the temple. Remember that? There were actual barriers for people to have relationships. And so you had the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go into, and only on the Day of Atonement. Then you had the holy place where the priest kept the the bread and the lamps burning. But then you had outside of that, then you had the place where the men could come. Then you had the place where the women, the saved women could come. And then you had the Gentiles. And on the, the, the thing over top of that tent or on top of the building was written a thing in multiple languages. If the Gentiles enter in, you do this at the cost of your own life. Well, that sounds very inviting. I mean, what if we had a sign outside? Hey, everybody's welcome here except sinners. So there's an actual barrier that was going on there. And so now God's saying, hey, as you've been dealing with these barriers, I'm telling you, I've torn the barrier down. And when barriers fade, conflicts begin to fade in significance when Jesus brings about that spiritual peace. See, what he's doing is he's uniting us together. And he says, I want you to come together now as one. Now, not just as a merger, because, and we see this all over the place, don't we, when companies come and they merge. So what do most of them typically do? They bring both names, right? 
Because they don't want to lose their understanding. They don't want their name to be lost in the system. But that's not what God is saying. He's not saying, hey, you still get to be the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Hey, you still get to be the Jew or the Gentile. He says, now you know what comes together? The two become one. And he gives us a completely new name, and it's called the church. And he's saying, this is how it happens. There is reconciliation that's supposed to be going on. The first one is reconciliation with God. That's our greatest need. It wasn't reconciliation with each other. It's not just being without wars. It's not just being without taxes. It's just not being without things. It's saying our thing that we have to get fixed first is our relationship with God. And we have a relationship with God. We go back to what the Apostle Paul told us earlier. What's the greatest thing that he prays for, for the people? That we might know God. To know him fully. And so Hebrews 8 10 through 11 says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. For I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the promise. And we get to be a part of that. We get to spend time in the word. We get to spend time in prayer. And this is what it says, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor. You don't have to come to me in order to know who God is. Do you understand how great a gift that is? We don't have to go through anybody anymore. We get to come fully and uniquely and individually to Christ. And as we have this opportunity, and each one is brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So little Timothy has the same access to God as Pastor Jeff. Now, Timothy's still it in our game of tag. But that's an amazing gift that Timothy has just as much access as I do. Because there are no second citizens. There are no those that have more than another. And God says that happens because of the reconciliation. And when that happens and when we know him, then it brings peace. Peace to who? Peace to everyone. See, God says in this passage that Christ is peace. He is peace. And only is he is peace, but he preaches peace. And when he does that, then here's what we try to do. We try to outdo each other by honoring each person in Christ. Now, how different would our church be if we're sitting here and we're trying to say, how can I make you look more like Christ? How can I sacrifice what I have so that you might have more in Christ? See, it changes the perspective and allows us to recognize that our access is different. The access that we have is by Christ. Now, I want you to remember the Old Testament story of, of Queen Esther. And remember what Queen Esther had to do? She would have to, when she knew that um, her people were going to be killed and there was an edict that was uh, made. And so she finds herself going into the chamber of the king, which therefore put herself at risk. She could have had her head chopped off. But yet she, what she does is she goes in to grant access with the king. And when the king recognizes her, he allows her to speak. And ultimately she saves her people because she trusted. Now apply that to Christ and us. 
Jesus gives unhindered access to the king. We enter into the throne room of God himself. How? By Christ. Specifically, because when Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, what happened? And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. No longer do we go through a sacrifice that would have to be ongoing, and no longer would we have to go through a priest. Jesus tears the curtain. So we all have access together. And so we all have access through, it says specifically, one spirit. There are no secondary citizens. There's not one spirit for the Jews and one spirit for the Gentiles. There's not one spirit for the Presbyterians and another spirit for the Pentecostals. There's not. There's one spirit and all that one spirit gives us all access, unfettered into God's presence, which means we can walk into this building standing up. You're not having to grovel on your hands and knees, which God could have required of us. But he says, because of Christ, you now stand in God's presence and we are allowed to come and speak. You speak to the God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and spoke the universe into existence by his words. That's the God you get to speak to. And so we have this access into this God, but he goes a step further and he says, not only do you have this access, not only are you becoming one, but you are now in the household of God. He starts off by making the distinction in verses 19 through 22, where there's the transition from strangers and aliens into the citizens of God. Now, I want you to understand that this, if you've ever gone to a foreign country, I don't care who you are, it is very decentering, decentering, and disoriented. Because why? Because you're an outsider. You don't belong. You don't know where anything is. You don't know the right people. You don't know what to say. And you feel lost. But when you've made to, to come there, and now think about this. They're talking about Gentiles to come in with people who formerly hated them. Who hated them for who they were, what they stood for. And now he says, now I want you to all come and be one big happy family. And he says, the first thing that you got to remember is that you used to be aliens and strangers. But I'm telling you, you are citizens. You belong it's why we make it a big deal when people become Americans. We go through a big service and a ceremony for it. Why? Because you're no longer who you used to be. You are now an American. It's why after 9-11, it was such a big deal for them to come on with the advertisements afterwards and they would show different people, remember? They would show different people of different colors and different statuses and everything like that. But at the end of each section, they would say, I'm an American, I'm an American, I'm an American with all of our differences. That's what he's saying to us. Even though we have all these differences, even though we have all these memories of, of what the things that separate us, we're still all part of not just the citizenship, but the household of God. Your family. You're no longer orphans. You're adopted. And now there, therefore becomes, we should now live to a different standard. 
Because there are rules. There is an understanding that we're saved unto a holy purpose. If you've ever been a child who's, who's started doing some questionable things in your family, I remember very quickly, and I remember my pastor saying this, the first pastor I worked for, remember who you are and whose you are. It's no different in the family of God. Remember who you are and whose you are in Christ because the way you act does affect the reputation. And so he's saying, this is who you are. You're, you're new citizens. You are now part of the household. And so therefore, now allow your masks to come off. Again, I've told you about this uh, group of um, people who used to do these one-act play kind of a things. And there's one of them called the mask. And they talk about two teenagers who were growing up in society. And they found themselves starting to put on masks to cover themselves to fit in with their peers you know, and so they started saying, well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not a jock. I, I, I'm not into study. I'm not into the things. I, I don't like my parents. I'm just like you. I, you know, I, I hate my parents. I want to know where the party is. Uh, you know, I want to fit in with whatever way makes me fit in with whatever group. We find ourselves, even as adults, putting on masks to fit in. But what happens here is God says, I want to switch that around. I want you to understand that in the midst of this house, you are secure. Take the mask off. Don't you wish our church, as well as the church as a whole, was a more accepting place where people could come who they really are? And not to cover over, not to pretend. When people ask the question of how you're really doing, you actually ask, answer the question truthfully. See, he wants us to understand that what he calls us to as the church, big picture, is we should be secure because of who? Because of Christ. See, he is to be our cornerstone. It's the thing that was rejected by man, but it becomes the sure foundation for who we are. It allows us to to remind ourselves that we are dear to God and therefore we become secure in who he is. There is an illustration from uh, a, a, not a pastor, he was a pastor, but at this point in the story, he's uh, the head of a seminary. And he tells of a story of a girl who comes from Missouri uh, to Oklahoma and finds herself getting off the bus. And um, as she got off the bus in this small, small town, Um, the police officers met her and asked her who she was and they said hey you can come to the shelter but you can't bring your dogs at that point she started to run and uh, she ran outside of the city and she ran into a field and she just stood in the field now you know in a small town that begins to get people talking and so what happens is the son rode up into the house and went to his dad hey dad there's a crazy lady out in the field So being the pastor in a small town, he knew that that was part of his job description to go out and find out who this crazy woman was. So he went out and began to talk to this woman and she, he finally gets to the place and he says, well, what's your name? And she says, my name is Mandy. And he says, Mandy, Mandy from Missouri. She said, yes. And he goes, your pastor back in Missouri is a friend of mine. And you know what? He wrote me and he pulled out a letter 
he wrote me a letter and told me you were coming. And she had no idea what, why she was coming to the city. She had no, I name, no idea the name of the city, but she got to read the letter from her pastor who sent it to this pastor, and he says, we've prepared a place for you. She became a citizen of that city. She found a place to work, and she found a home. And the point from the pastor was this. We've all felt isolated alone with all eyes gawking upon us. But what a great understanding that God knew exactly what needed to happen at the right moment and prepared because Mandy was dear to him. We've got to recognize that we're dear to God and because we're dear to God, we are secure in who we are. Not only secure in Christ, but we have a sure foundation. It's a solid foundation. And what he's telling the the Gentiles is you have equal standing with both the prophets and the patriarchs of the church. You're not a second-class citizen. No one in this room is better than another person. It doesn't matter that I get to come up here and preach It doesn't matter that I get to study the word of God. I'm no greater than anybody because we're all found in Christ. And so he's letting them know, hey, you are those building blocks. You are the foundation. You are the church. You are the missionaries. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices according to God through Jesus Christ. That's your calling and my calling. We are the stones that build. Listen, and it doesn't build a cottage. It builds a temple. It's not just for us to get away. It's not not an R&R. He's calling us to be the temple. And the temple evokes worship. And the worship means that this was where the Shekinah glory of God came and rested upon the tabernacle and upon the temple. And he says, this is my place. I will be their God. They will be my people. And they will worship me. And I will take care of them. And I will be faithful. Do we believe it? Because as he builds us into the temple, he says to us ultimately, and there is my dwelling place with you. See, he's no longer just in the temple. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit who is in you. We are looking forward to that day in the new heavens and the new earth where God will be there in our presence. We won't have to hide our eyes. We won't have to worry about anything. We will be with him forever, fully known. But what does that mean to us now? He means that you're dear to him. And I want you to understand that you are dear to the living Christ. You are secure in him. Nothing can remove you from his hand. And he's not done with you because you are vital to his purposes here on earth. So I don't care if you're a little kid or if you're the oldest person in this congregation. God's not done. He still has purposes for you. So what do we do? 
First thing I, I want you to do is what the Apostle Paul said, remember. Remember who you were and remember who you are now in Christ. And as you remember that, remember that you were brought near to him as he came closer to you. How? Through Jesus Christ, by his blood, shed for you so that we might now live for him. So be thankful. Praise and worship that you are now the temple of God. And then go and take forth the gospel message and tell those who are cut off Cut off, maybe never darken the doors of a church. You are the process that God is using to take forth his kingdom and his citizenship to make them your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I do hope that we had ears to hear, that we would come to your ancient words, that we were ready to be changed changed with hearts open to the freshness and the newness of the gospel, Lord, that we would recognize that if we say we love God but hate our brethren, then there is no love in us. But Father, you tell us very clearly that if we love God, then we're going to love the people around us. No matter their sins, no matter their reputations, no matter the divisions or differences, we're all fine in ourselves at the foot of the cross, saved by grace, given mercy, but all done because Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. And then he gives to us his righteousness and he gives to us that desire to love one another to encourage one another, to build one another up, to forgive as Christ is forgiven, to love the way that Christ loves us. And Lord, as we do that, the people will notice that there's something different. And Lord, that they would be drawn to you, drawn to you, the only answer because you're the only one who can save. So Father, thank you for that great gift. And may we reconcile and truly be one together, united in Christ. And we give you all praise and honor by the power of the Spirit, but in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen.